I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to the second part of my sermonic review of the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that God puts us in situations so that we can develop our wisdom by developing our fear of the consequences of disobedience. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on the uh, 6th of December. Our lesson for the morning is the second part of our sermon series in the on the biblical design of gender. And the text for the morning is Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, which read as follows. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear this message for the day. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, in our first lesson on the biblical design of gender, the takeaway point was that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in heaven. Genesis 2.24 makes it absolutely clear that the marital relationship is the primary relationship in life, as it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, our ultimate goal in life is to prepare for responsibility in heaven. And God tells us that only by our involvement in family can we have the experiences that we need to be successful on that level? As we will see in this lesson, our careers are not given to us by God as preparation for further responsibility, but as a response to our disobedience. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 and 12, God announced that various parts of his creation were good. Then in the A, ver A clause rather of Genesis 2, 18, the Lord God said, It is not good 
that man should be alone. Let me define good and not good. Good conditions are those that positively reinforce our participation in God's design. Conditions that are not good are those that give us problems to solve as part of the learning process that will lead us to godly maturity. And using an academic analogy, good conditions teach us God's lessons and conditions that are not good test whether or not we have received the knowledge that we were taught. Now before the woman was created, the man understood the concepts of good and not good. And then in Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In Genesis 2.17, God told man to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now man had the knowledge of good and the knowledge of not good, so the point is that God did not design man to learn about evil. Now, two lessons ago, I discussed the concept of agapeo love. Agapeo is the Greek word for the form of self-sacrificial love that causes us to do that which objectively benefits others in spite of the risk of physical or emotional injury that our actions may cause us. The fireman that voluntarily risk his life for people without knowing them or having any emotional attachment to them exhibits this agapeo love. The design of God is that we use the not good situations with which we come into contact to develop the capacity to exhibit agapeo love. Jesus tells us in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 21 tells us, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now Peter tells us that God planned Jesus' agonizing crucifixion before he created the world, not as a remedial reaction to any sin that we committed. The agapeo love that Jesus exhibited in his passion experience was part of God's initial design. 
And God intends that as followers of Christ, we give ourselves for others, even as Jesus did, and endure that which is not good to mature and develop the sacrificial intelligence that Jesus exhibited. Since the design of God is that we develop this agabeo love to equip ourselves for our role in heaven, and we cannot develop this agapeo love by ourselves, it therefore follows that it is not good that man should be alone. To fulfill the design of God, we need someone besides ourselves in order to learn to love sacrificially. Now, in Genesis 2.17, God says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, man already has the knowledge of good and not good when God gives the instruction in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. So the instruction actually prohibits us from developing the knowledge of evil. Evil is not part of God's design for us. Enduring or perpetrating evil was not part of the design for our maturation process. Conditions that are evil are caused by the planning of malevolent forces. I recently experienced an accidental car crash because the fellow driving behind me wasn't paying attention and ran into the back of my car. That was not good. But suppose that the fellow was in the middle of a difficult divorce from his wife and he saw her crossing the street behind my car just as he was stopping behind me. Suppose that an evil rage overcame the fellow and he decided to kill his wife by ramming into her and crushing her between the front of his truck and the back of my car. For him, the situation would change from being not good to being evil. Conditions that are not good lead us to give ourselves to remedy them and enter the development of agapeo love. Conditions that are evil, our voluntary, pre-planned, and malicious deviation from the design of God to satisfy our own focus on our own desires lead us away from God's plan that we develop agapeo love. And God, in his design, did not intend that we partake of evil. Now, in Genesis 2.17, God says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Interestingly, God does not say, In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will kill you, but rather... In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. When God designed the world, he placed death in the world as a natural consequences, consequence rather, of, the, of the knowledge of evil. And let me give you an example. I recently listened to a presentation from the Right to Life organization who gave me some interesting facts about breast cancer. Cancer occurs when organ cells grow uncontrollably to form lumps or masses of tissue called tumors, which eventually interfere with bodily functions. But when a woman becomes pregnant, one of her bodily changes to prepare for carrying the new life that she has conceived 
is that her breast growth is stimulated. A hormone, estradiol, which stimulates the thickening of tissues and blood vessels, turns breast cell growth on during the first trimester of pregnancy. And in an article entitled, More on the Adverse Effect of Abortion, Karen Malek, the president of the, of the Coalition on Abortion Breast Cancer, writes, In a normal pregnancy, elevated estradiol levels stimulate the proliferation of type 1 and type 2 lobules in the breast. Estrogen is a mitogen, which is a hormone that stimulates cell division, and a genotoxin, a substance that causes mutations in DNA molecules. And during the last months of a full-term pregnancy, pheromones produced by the fetus, human chlorionic gonadotropin and human placental lactogen, help mature most lobules into fully cancer-resistant type 4 lobules. At the end of full-term pregnancy, 85% of breast lobules are cancer-resistant type 4 lobules. An abortion in the first or second trimester of pregnancy leaves the mother with an increased number of type 1 and 2 lobules. So, while a full-term birth is analogous to stopping your car by using the brakes, an abortion is analogous to stopping your car by running it into a brick wall. God has designed pregnancy so that conception turns on the growth of breast tissue and birth turns it off. If a woman has an abortion during the first or second trimester of pregnancy, while the breast growth functions are turned on, the body will not get the signal from the fetus to turn the breast growth functions off. Increased breast cancer rates are the result. Karen Mallet continues, soon after legalization, abortion became a common elective procedure and created a new field of medical research. 38 epidemiological studies exploring an independent link with breast cancer have been published. 29 report risk elevations. 17 of the 38 studies are, are statistically significant. 16 of which reported increased risk. 13 out of 15 American studies found risk elevation. Biological evidence provides a plausible mechanism for this statistical association. Most medical organizations were silent about this research, but there was still enough concern about a causal relationship to lead scientists to publish another 36 studies after 1973, the year that abortion was legalized. In 1973, the incidence of the disease was 82.6 per 100,000 women, and breast cancer was considered a disease of elderly women. By 1998, female breast cancer incidence increased more than 40% to 118.1 per 100,000, and breast cancer became a young woman's disease. Researchers from the National Cancer Institute, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the American Cancer, the North American Association of Central Cancer Registries, 
collaborated on a troubling report on cancer status in the years 1973 through 1998, published in 2001. Significantly, the absolute numbers reported of reported excess cases agree with a prediction made in, 19, in a 1996 review and meta-analysis. Its lead author, Joel Brind, Ph.D., professor of biology and endocrinology at City University of New York's Baruch College, concluded from a review of the 2001 report, abortion can explain the entire rise in breast cancer since the mid-1980s, and it's not just because the rise is in young women young enough to have an abortion, have had an abortion. It's also that the absolute numbers of increased cases fall within the range of the numbers that we predicted in our 1996 meta-analysis. Now, the evidence of this research is that the rise of breast cancer in the United States of America since the 1970s is caused by abortion. Death is the natural consequence of evil. And I can hardly think of a more intentionally evil act than murdering one's unborn child in one's own womb. In the book of Exodus, the Bible records that the Pharaoh in Egypt mandated involuntary abortion of the male children of the Jews in his kingdom, and as a result, God intervened directly and destroyed Egypt with ten plagues. Now, I recognize that my analysis may seem a little harsh. After all, Abortion is not presented to women in our society as murder, but as choice. Abortion is not presented as evil, but as a woman's enlightened method of relieving herself of a mass of cells that will grow into a child that will curtail her opportunity to develop her career. But don't women actually know better? In our text, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the days that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did the woman know better? Genesis chapter 3 verse 2 and 3 records, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So the woman affirmed that she was aware of the poisonous nature of the fruit of the tree in question. But you may ask, why was the tree positioned in the midst of the garden? And why did God allow the serpent to come into the garden to make the tree such a great temptation? Well, now, as I have previously mentioned, God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in heaven. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. God's plan for us is that we exercise dominion to develop wisdom and knowledge. 
The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was one of the trees over which the man and woman had dominion. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 tells us that in order for the man and woman to develop wisdom and knowledge, they first had to develop a fear of God. God set up a situation in which they could exercise their fear of him. God used the tree to instill fear in them by telling them the re that the result of their disobedience would be death. Now, the temptation itself implies that the man and the woman understood the negative effects of death. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, the serpent did not try to convince the woman that death wouldn't be so bad, which implies that the woman knew that death was a bad thing. The serpent rather tempted the woman to believe that death would not occur from their eating of the fruit so that she could ignore God with impunity. So the woman was faced with a simple choice. God told her to fear the results of eating the fruit. And the serpent told her not to fear the results of eating the fruit. She had to choose whether to believe God, whether to fear or not. The fact of the matter is, throughout our lives, God tells us how to behave. We constantly have the choice to recognize the wisdom in God's instruction and fear the consequences of disobedience or to not do so. God's divine design is that he puts us in situation so that we can develop our wisdom by developing our fear of the consequences of disobedience. It is only by doing so that we can prepare for further responsibility in heaven. So it doesn't matter how many times those that promote abortion tell women that they are not killing their children. Women know better. When a woman becomes pregnant, with what does she think that she is pregnant if not a child? Women have abortions to avoid having children. So it is intuitively obvious that the child is the one that the woman kills to avoid having it. The choice to have an abortion and the potential consequences of abortion are almost a perfect parallel to the choice that the woman had in the garden. According to the statistics, the female population that has the lowest incidence of breast cancer is those women that have carried their first pregnancy to term before their 24th birthday. The female population that has the highest incidence of breast cancer is those women that have aborted their first pregnancy. But, just as in the garden, women in our day choose not to fear God and eat of the forbidden fruit of abortion and suffer the consequences. In the garden, the woman also gave the fruit to her husband, and as she had not collapsed in death, her husband ate the fruit as well. Men that take women to abortion clinics or try to persuade women to have abortions are culpable, just as was the man in the garden. Now, after the sin of the man and the woman, God pronounced sentence. Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 records, 
So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So as a result of tempting the woman, the serpent was cursed. Revelation 20 verses 1 through 1, 2, 7 and 7 through 10 records his fate. The Bible says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down out of God, from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The serpent is cursed to everlasting damnation. But interestingly, the disobedient woman is not cursed. Genesis 3.16 records to the woman, the Lord God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. God does not curse the woman as he does the serpent. God gives the woman consequences, including the supervision of her husband, but she is not cursed. The last clause of the verse says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And we can understand this clause by looking at its parallel in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 in which God tells Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. God tells Cain that sin's desire is to rule over him, but he should rule over sin. Interpreting the parallel verse in Genesis 3.16, the woman desires to rule over the man just as sin desired to rule over Cain, but the man will rule over the woman, even as Cain was admonished to rule over sin. And God reinforces that interpretation in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, which says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Once again, women are faced with a simple choice. Genesis 3.16 tells us that women's desire will be to rule over her that a woman's desire will be to rule over her husband. But God also tells women to submit to their husbands, and women, once again, have to choose whether to fear God or not. 
Now the man is punished, as is the woman, but is not cursed. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 records, Then to Adam the Lord God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the, from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now the man, like the woman, is put in an uncomfortable situation, but is not cursed. As I mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, our careers are not given to us by God as a blessing, but as part of our punishment. We now have to work to obtain the things that God gave us initially as a free gift. And no one really wants to go to work. Suppose you could maintain your standard of living without working. Would you do so? If your answer is no, let me ask you if retirement planning is one of your major concerns. But why? If work is such a blessing, why would you want to retire from it? The fact is that because of sin, work is a necessity, but work is not a blessing. Now, it is a blessing to have a way to make a living in the world as God has constructed it in reaction to our sin, but God did not design us to work. Jesus' disciples toiled all night fishing and caught nothing. Jesus spoke a word, and they caught more fish than they could take in. That's what having dominion means. And as I said earlier, our ultimate goal in life is to prepare for the responsibility that we're going to have in heaven. And God tells us that only by our involvement in family can we have the experiences that we need to be successful on that level. Our careers are not given to us by God as preparation for further responsibility, but as a response to our disobedience. God designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in heaven. And God is not going to allow sin to thwart his plan. As a matter of fact, God designed a remedy for the problem of sin even before man sinned. And as we have already read, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 21 says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges, each one, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the, time of, throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Although the earthly consequences of sin are not erased, Jesus Christ died on the cross to erase the eternal consequences of sin. God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, has provided an environment for us in which we can successfully fulfill that which God designed us to do. God designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in heaven. Should we choose to repent of our sin and develop the fear of God, we will become wise, our sins will be forgiven, and we will accomplish that which God created us to do. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, was wise enough to give us a passage of scripture that can form our takeaway point for the day. He tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or or evil. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson, and we thank you for those who have come to hear it. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to be aware of your design and to be aware of your word and to conduct ourselves according to it. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to listen to that which you are telling us to say and to not allow ourselves to be sidetracked by the wiles of the devil who is lying in wait for us. But help us, Lord, to remember our takeaway point for the day that we need to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For we know that you will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.